everybody, it's Sean Horwell. This is the Never Heard of It podcast. This is a show where we talk about the movies that have slipped through our cracks and yours. Doing a tee-up today, and I'm not alone. Would the person on the other end of this digital phone call introduce himself, please? He will, in good time. Is now a good time? Because that, that seems like a good time to me. Uh, all right. Uh, it's me, Craig Moorhead. Oh, hey, Craig. The co-host of Never Heard of It. Usually I come in around now and I introduce myself and I say hello and I ask Sean how he's doing. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing okay. Getting a little bit of the sniffles. I got some Kleenex on hand. Mm. Just drank some tea, of course. So we'll see. Hopefully it'll get me through here without snotting all over yeah. the microphone. No snotting. How are you? Uh, man, I'm, well, I'm doing better than that. I don't have any congestion. My hands are a little dry, but that's mm. about as much as I can say in terms of being uncomfortable. Let's page an intern for some, what, you do Jergens or what do you, oh, what's yeah. your lotion of choice? Well, I, I go for a vino, but okay. sure, I mean, I'll take whatever. <laughs> All right, I'll see if I can send one in to you. Thanks. Get lathered up there. It's been really good since we built this uh, this building to do our <laughs> podcast in. This empire? So yeah, it's totally, a, it's a different world now. But I mean, that's, that's season three, man. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, it's not very different. What's that? Or the places that they can find us online. Isn't that right? You know, because this is usually the part where I talk about where they can find us. And it's they can find us at neverheardpodcast.com. There you can listen to every single episode we have. We uh, make little blog, blog posts about each uh, full episode that we do. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you'll find our episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify. And I would ask if you find our if, if you find anything about this entertaining or good in any way, if you could leave like maybe a little uh, uh, review, you know, say say a nice thing on uh, Apple iTunes that helps people find our our stuff. Other than that, uh, you won't find us anywhere. Those are the only places that we <laughs> exist. I'm hiding right now. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea, Craig. Before we get rolling here. I thought I would uh, deliver a little, two little tidbits of podcast-related news. Oh, I like that. What, what are the, what's the news? Well, the first one is, you may recall, we talked about a movie called Rhinoceros a while back, as suggested by listener and friend David Piles. Thank you, David. Mm. And there's a new Blu-ray of that coming out, just in time for us to oh, have already wow. talked about it. <laughs> Yeah. On May 7th, and it's from Kino Lorber, or Kino Classics, who I think they typically do pretty good stuff. They got some interviews on there and special features. So if you're a fan of that movie, or Eugene Ionesco, or Gene Wilder, or Zero Mustel, mm -hmm. maybe you'll want to you'll pick that up. That's incredible. And I think probably they're going to get a big push from, from our episode. I would think so. I mean, I'm yeah. expecting at least a couple grand in royalties, if nothing else. Yeah. The second is, um, so you know, we've talked about nuts a lot on this podcast. Man, we are nothing if not nut nuts. Yeah, but we also talked about a documentary called Nuts. Yes. Uh, which was a lot of fun, and that was directed by Penny Lane, and I just today watched a trailer for a new documentary that she has that I think was at Sundance this past year and did quite well. It's called Hail Satan? Question mark. I like it already. Yeah, and it's about the sort of infamous statue of Satan that was resurrected on, I believe, a Missouri courthouse lawn after they put up the Ten Commandments in some sort of sculpture form. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the Satanists made a point that uh, if religious freedom means religious freedom, that they ought to have the right to do that. And I think it's about the whole sort of uh, movement behind that and the Satanic Temple in its current form. And it looks like a lot of fun. So uh, good trailer. 
I'll be looking forward to that one when it comes out. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so hail Satan. Hail Satan. Craig, Mm. speaking of Satan, we have another fun-filled month for everybody, and we're kicking it off today with a tee-up of a movie. Well, I won't won't spoil who made it quite yet, but a movie I'm Mm. excited about. It was one that had crossed my radar at some point. Kind of surprised that I had never heard of this thing. It's from 1980. It's called Out of the Blue. I'll give a quick synopsis, and then maybe you can tell us uh, who all made it. Craig? Be glad to. So from IMDb, Out of the Blue is about a young girl whose father is an ex-convict and whose mother is a junkie, and she finds it difficult to conform and tries to find comfort in a quirky combination of Elvis and the punk scene. From Out of the Blue comes the most controversial movie of the year, Out of the Blue. A sharp shock to complacent faith and civilization. Out of the Blue is the easy rider for the 80s. The movie that's caused a sensation all across Europe is finally coming home. Hmm. I have a feeling that's not going to be the best synopsis in the world for this movie. Yeah. But we'll find out next time. We will. So, yeah, how about it? I'm excited to hear all, uh, who all's involved in this thing, Craig. All right. Well, it's got quite a, quite, a, quite a group of people here. So let's get right into it. Out of the blue, and I bet you're going to fill us in on this a little in a little bit, but Probably. it seems to definitely uh, have quite a French contingent to it. It seems like a lot of folks out of the French, I don't know, culture with a lot of French work. It seems like oh, yeah. possibly Canadian. I, I think it's Canadian. I'm gonna maybe I'm going yeah, yeah maybe I'm going overboard. Yeah, it was made in Canada, so right. uh, but in Vancouver, which we'll get to. But I would guess maybe the province of Quebec is involved in this. Ah, never been there. Have you? I have. I've been to Montreal a couple times. Lovely place. Mm. Recommend it. Got to get up there. Well, but until I do, I'm gonna rely on this to teach me everything I need to know. Out of the blue <laughs> was directed by Dennis Hopper. Mm-hmm. Well, we know him from directing such movies as Easy Rider and Colors, among others. It was written by Leonard Yakir. I'm guessing that's why my voice went up at the end there. <laughs> that's how he pronounces it, too. Yeah, probably. Yakir? Always is it. Mm. <laughs> but uh, Leonard Yakir also wrote and directed a movie called The Morning Suit. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G uh, Suit. Okay. I didn't read up on that. thought the title was interesting, yeah. uh, but I didn't uh, recognize anything else. It was also uh, written, co-written perhaps, by Brendan Nielsen, who seemed to this, this seemed to be her only credit interesting. ever. Yeah. I always wonder when someone is their only credit, sometimes I think that they did it and they're like, that's, that's, the best. that's exactly what I set out to do. Yeah. And I'm done. <laughs> or they just hated the entire experience. Like, nope, I'm, yeah, not, I'm never doing that again. That's very possible. Yeah. We got a, a, quite a gaggle of producers. We got Jean Gontier. Yeah. Oh, every one of these is going to be a question mark for me. <laughs> I had no idea I was handing you an, another difficult yeah. pronunciation task here. Ugh. Sorry, buddy. Tell me about it. No, it's all right. Jean Gontier uh, is also a producer on the movie Green Card by Peter Weir. I don't okay. know if you remember that. Yep. Orlando, a Tilda Swinton, I believe, Sally Potter movie. Hmm. Sally Potter directed movie. I've never seen either one of those. I kind of want to see Orlando. Yeah. Gary Jules Juvena. Ju- Juvena. Oh, man. I think that's pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that works for me. They're all 
It's just all, they're all listening and they're all making fun of me right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do. Yeah. I can feel I it. I do. I do. I hear them. Now, Gary had not produced a bunch of other stuff, but he was an auditor on the movies Earthquake, Ice Castles, and Sylvester. Hmm. And I did not look into what that meant, but I thought that was an interesting credit. Maybe it means more in Quebec. Paul Lewis was a co-producer on The Hitcher and Colors. So mm-hmm. he's kind of a Dennis Hopper guy. And The Hitcher is great. Highly recommended. Aaron Sadov, Sadovnik, Sadovnik. This is his only movie. And again, Leonard Yakir of Morning Suit. Music was created by Tom Laven. Uh, I didn't recognize the other movies uh, that he had done, but he was a music editor on Pinky and the Brain and some other tunes. Wow. Uh, which is kind of interesting, yeah. Didn't we have a whole gaggle of people from, was it Black Christmas that did voices on Pinky and the Brain or Animaniacs? Or, uh... Well, well, we had, I think Bernadette Peters yeah, did a David. Pinky and the Brain. Okay. But maybe we did have some from Black Christmas too. No, I think it was just David. But uh, okay. nonetheless, yeah. that's weird. A lot, lot of weird connections. Our, our, our DP is Mark Champion, which is probably Mark Champion. <laughs> I hope it's champion. That's a great last I know. Name. You can't go wrong yeah. either way. He is also the DP on Breaking Point, strangely enough, a, directed by Bob Clark from Black Christmas fame. Yeah. And he also shot a movie called Sunday in the Country, starring Ernest Borgnine. And it looks like it looks like a movie about like Ernest Borgnine protecting his family from some people who come to his house. Wow. I don't know. I'm, I'm putting that on the list. because Yeah, looks, that sounds cool. It looks very interesting. Film editing by... Ooh, that's not her name. Hold on one second. Yeah. Put on the uh, the auto the correct music while I look up it's, if this is correct. I'll spell it for you. I'm not going to pronounce it for you. <laughs> oh, so it, it is. It does. Yeah. There's no there's no winning this scenario. There's not. No. It's either Doris Dick or Doris Dyke. <laughs> yeah. I'm very sorry if that offends anyone. It's her name. She's probably a lovely person. I did not recognize her other work. Uh, so I'm excited to see what she did here. It's D Y C K. We should maybe just say that. So, D Y C K. Yeah, right. Talk, I mean, but there's no there's no yeah. way around that. Like it's probably Dick, or yeah. maybe Dwick. But that's that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't know. Dis. I'm sorry, Doris. Dis. I'm very Let's sorry. say it's Dis, and the K is silent. Dice. Oh. Dice. Doris Dice. Doris Dice. Actually, that sounds like that's a nice name. That's what I'd roll with. Get it? Uh, the movie having actors. It stars uh, Linda Manns who looks so familiar. And then when I looked through all of her credits, I kind of felt like, I don't remember her from any of these things. Really? There's a very obvious one, Craig. Is there? Because she was in Days of Heaven. That's the obvious one. Oh, okay. I yeah. mean, that's the thing. I like, it just didn't register for me. Okay, yeah. She's the main kid in Days of Heaven that does all the narration and stuff. Oh. She's got the raspy voice. Maybe yeah. I need to watch that again. Yeah. It's probably been a while. Days of Heaven, she's in the game. Was she in Gummo? Yeah. I think she's the, she's the mom in Gummo, I think. Dennis Hopper plays her dad in the movie now uh, is acting chops of course blue velvet my science project and the inside man which yep. we talked about in episode 24 <laughs> oh god yeah yeah go all the way back i couldn't believe that's how long ago it was yeah that was like, a i long kept time. going through that list and i was like what i just remember all the various dvd covers i found for that movie and posted mm-hmm. on our facebook page which that would take a lot of digging to find again but man there were some good ones it's worth it guys yeah check out that site uh, we have no advertisements on. We're not getting any money. No. Totally free. It's how we give back. Uh, also starring Sharon Fer- Farrell. Sharon Farrell. It's Sharon Farrell. Maybe. Uh, now she was in Can't Buy Me Love, an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. Huh. 
and many other things, a lot of, a lot of TV. Don Gordon from Bullet, The Exorcist 3, lots of 80s TV. Raymond Burr, you got to love Raymond Burr, right? Perry Mason do, yeah. from Rear Window. Uh, and John Anderson from Psycho. Uh, and like it's apparently every single TV show made in the 50s and 60s. When you see his face, like he's just, yeah, he's been all over the place. He's one of those kind of guys. And that's what I have for this particular uh, rundown. Cool. So, Sean, I'm interested to find out what you found out about how this thing came together. Sure. Yeah. When it popped up, I was like, holy cow, this is a Dennis Hopper movie I've never heard of. And then Linda Mann's. I think, you know, there's such big gaps between what she did from here and the game. Is I think she just, like, totally left yeah. uh, Hollywood from what I read a little bit. But anyway, so yes, this was the first film that Hopper had directed since 1971's last movie, which that was kind of a notorious bomb coming on the heels of Easy Rider, and his mm-hmm. career in general was not in a particularly great place. I think he already had kind of a rep as a difficult actor, and so this movie popped up a little bit between Apocalypse Now and Rumblefish, which are both great roles for him in particular. I, I memorable roles at the very least. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't looked too deep, but I don't think, aside from his buddy Francis Coppola, there was a ton of great stuff being handed to him at this point. So, yeah, as you mentioned, one of the executive producers was Paul Lewis. And uh, in addition to working on some of the other stuff, he was a production manager on Easy Rider and I think one of the producers on the last movie. Eight days into production, Lewis realized that the footage they were getting from your buddy Leonard Yakir, who Mm -hmm. was originally slated to direct this thing and had begun production as director, was not not usable, is the words I read. So they had a six and a half week schedule and still had five weeks left pretty much lewis fired yakir essentially and asked hopper to take over whoa yeah and a lot of this information is kind of i found a really good article from alfred chamberlain on blastitude.com so thank you mr chamberlain not only does hopper agree to direct this thing he also promises that he'll bring it in on time and on budget i guess which had to be a crazy thing considering the fiasco that was the last movie. He definitely did some rewriting on this. I don't know if Brendan Nielsen by chance would be a pseudonym, but he is uncredited as a writer on this. Huh. It said he did it mostly over a short weekend, which I'm guessing was in between when they had shot a little bit of stuff and when he came aboard. And he changed the focus of the entire movie to the Linda Mann's character. Originally, this was called CB because her character, I think, is Cynthia Barnes, and so they took the initials. But anyway, in the process of doing that, though, they shrunk the hell out of Raymond Burr's role. Oh, wow. Additionally, I read two things. One was that he was already friends with Neil Young, and he asked for a couple songs from the latest record to use in the movie, which would be My My Hey Hey, and Thrasher, mm-hmm. but My My Hey Hey, which that's a pretty familiar song, also has a parenthetical in the title, which is Out of the Blue. So there's that version that that's where the title came from. I also read that he was like, he heard it on the radio on the way to set one day, and that's how he got the idea, so who knows. But anyway, title was yeah. changed. He called in Don Gordon, who you mentioned, uh, who was also an old friend of his and was in the last movie. And that was like one of his first big casting moves. 
And he also supposedly gave Mans basically just gave her like free reign with that character. Right. And in a, most of the small parts, I'm guessing why a lot of those names don't sound familiar, I think he used pretty much exclusively non-actors. We'll see. But Raymond Burr, in his contract, it said that he had to be satisfied by the filmmakers because of the Canadian tax shelter laws requiring X amount of Canadians to appear in the film. And he would have left the film if he had known that his part had been so severely reduced. So they just never told him that. Uh, <laughs> and instead, it said they spent seven days with him where basically Hopper filmed all the initial stuff from the initial script, rather. And not only that, like they gave in to Burr's demands that he himself be allowed to write his own scenes and read them off cue cards. Whoa. Yeah, the guy that wrote this article sort of pontificated that people from the crew were probably happy to see that his role had been cut so much. Uh, but the legend is that that he didn't know anything about that, and he didn't realize that he was not the star of this movie, Raymond Burr, until he saw it well after post-production and perhaps at the, the Cannes Film Festival screaming itself. So that must have been a surprise. That is crazy. Yep. And apparently there's a scene where Linda Manns does some sort of improvisation with a fan, like I, in which I'm guessing because there's a music element in this movie, and I think she plays in a band, I'm guessing is a fan of this band and not like a ceiling fan. <laughs> right. But nonetheless, like supposedly you can get a glimpse of Raymond Burr's face because he was in that scene and just being confused as hell about what she was doing. <laughs> so look for that. But apparently, like, Hopper did kind of consider this as a spiritual follow-up to Easy Rider in a way, and he stated that this is, like, probably what would have happened to that Easy Rider character, you know, those guys, if they were 10 years later in their life. So that'll be interesting to watch. <laughs> but all in all, yeah, they, they filmed in Vancouver for about six weeks. There's a legendary Vancouver punk band called the Pointed Sticks, which uh, they serve as the band that Linda Manns plays in in this movie. They had a budget of $2.2 million Canadian dollars, which was about $3.20 in U.S. currency <laughs> at the time. No, I don't know. Uh, this movie premiered, yeah, it was in the Cannes Film Festival, May 1980. According to Roger Ebert, it caused a considerable sensation. Quote, Linda Manns was mentioned as a frontrunner for the Best Actress Award, but back in North America, the Canadian backers had difficulties in making a distribution deal, and it basically slipped through the cracks. It was nice of Ebert to use our tagline in his quote there, yeah. right? Yeah. Give us a little bump there. <laughs> uh, but it did, it did get released in 81 in Sweden, France, Spain, and it played in New York City. But it apparently did not show up in any sort of like larger release in the United States until April of 90, 1982. Wow. Oddly enough, I, well, at least I found this strange, they changed the title for the Canadian release to No Looking Back, which is weird to me just because Neil Young is Canadian, if I'm not mistaken. So you feel right. like they were just like, oh, yeah, this makes total sense. We'll use this song. We all that connection to Neil Young. But no, I guess not. Yeah. In Italy, Craig, IMDb says this movie was called Snack Bar Blues, <laughs> which right. I kind of feel like that should still be the title for some movie, Snack yeah. Bar Blues. Yeah, it's not, not like a bad it. title on its own. Uh, and in West Germany on video, the video release was called Dynamite Punk, which is also kind of cool. Yeah, that's a little closer, it feels like. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Taglines. She's 15. The only adult she admires is Johnny Rotten. That's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. 
And they changed that slightly for the DVD release, and then they added, Her dad's in prison. Her mom's on drugs. The only adult she admires is Johnny Rod. It's It's tough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the reception was, it's been positive in hindsight, I think. It definitely, according to Ebert, did well at the film festival, even though it did not win any award. Janet Maslin wrote in the New York Times, quote, Transitions barely exist in Dennis Hopper's Out of the Blue, a work of affecting, if largely unexplained, intensity, and one whose collective associations are far more powerful than its story. She goes on, I like this part. Mr. Hopper's films, particularly this one, are more like time capsules than movies anyhow. They seem to be collections of free-floating cultural artifacts, assembled roughly, but with honesty and passion. There is incoherence, too. Out of the Blue is more lucid than the last movie, but perhaps less direct than Easy Rider. So, it'll be kind of interesting. I don't think I've ever seen the last movie, so I don't no, know. No, I was going to ask. Yeah, it'll be you, good yeah. to kind of gauge uh, my expectations and for that. I know there's a great documentary, I think, called uh, The American Dreamer yeah. about the making of the last movie. So, that's another one I want to check out. Anyway, Ebert, in his review, uh, like official review of this movie, called it, or said, quote, a bitter, unforgettable poem about alienation. Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader listed it as one of the 15 best films of the 1980s, which that's kind of crazy. It's like that would make that list and still not be yeah. one that's just like... Sort of not be around. Know, yeah, extremely well-known. At the Cannes Film Festival that year, All That Jazz and uh, Kajimusha were the big winners, I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they do a tie for the Palme d'Or, but they were both listed, so who knows. Unfortunately, this movie did not pop up on Box Office Mojo or anywhere I looked for a uh, box office haul. And I, I don't know, but partly I did look at 80, 81, and 82 and did not see it on any of them. So I don't know. Wow. You know, yeah. just because of the gradual release it got. But anyway, I went with 1980 because that was when it was at, uh, it, it had its premiere. We've talked about this, I think. You know what the number one movie of 1980 is, don't you? Uh, um, uh, yeah. You don't, even, you don't even have to say it. No, no. <laughs> Uh, Empire Strikes Back. Of yeah, course. Empire Strikes Back. I feel like Back. you answered that once before. I could be wrong, but yeah. I did, I did. And I clearly didn't learn it. And right. That's, that's the shame of it, yeah. Well, we'll refresh everyone's memory. Uh, top 10 then was 9 to 5, Stir Crazy, Airplane, Any Which Way You Can, Private Benjamin, Coal Miner's Daughter, Smokey and the Bandit 2, The Blue Lagoon, and The Blues Brothers. This is also a big year for Ordinary People, Popeye, The Shining, Urban Cowboy, Caddyshack, Friday the 13th, Craig, the original. Oh, yeah. Elephant Man, Raging Bull, Cheech and Chong's next movie, Flash Gordon, Xanadu, and The Fog. Those were all in the top 30 that year. That's incredible. I know. I thought Popeye was this big bomb. It was. Made more money than The Shining. I don't know know what his budget was, but yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Also notorious that year, Heaven's Gate did not do well at the box office. Finished 95. Uh, Hitchcock passed away in 1980, sadly. Ordinary People notoriously won the Best Picture that year and Best Director for Robert Redford, beating out... Raging Bull. Absolutely. But De Niro won Best Actor for that, and Sissy Spacek won Best Actress for Coal Miner's Daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got some miscellaneous trivia for you. Uh, some of the dialogue from this movie, specifically from Linda Manns, was sampled uh, in a song called Kill All Hippies by the band Primal Scream out of the UK, which definitely heard of but uh yeah i don't know how familiar i am with their music it's on the exterminator album from 2000 they sound fun yeah uh on the very first day of the con film festival can however you say it Cannes. may 9th 1980 
Friday the 13th opened up in the U.S. How about that? Same day. Boom. Yep. And on May 11th, when the film festival was still going on, Henry Hill was arrested for drug possession. And uh, if you don't know who Henry Hill is, you have not seen Goodfellas. Yeah. So shame on you. Shame, shame. Know your name. Mm. Your name's Henry Hill. That's it, Craig. (laughs) (laughs) That makes no sense. No, that's fine. I'm really excited to see this one. I I will confess that I have watched like the first two or three minutes, and even that got me kind of interested here. I think it's going to be slightly weird, but hopefully a little little poetic and a little sad and a little interesting. I'm all about it. It's a little difficult to find. I've read there's two different DVDs, and the earlier one is actually the better one and has, I think, some interviews with Hopper himself. But uh, you can find it, and I know you will. So go watch it, and we'll talk about it in detail next time, right? Absolutely right. You have any last words you want to say? Uh, my, my. Hey, hey. Bye, y'all.